Hey, welcome back to Settle the Far. This is Corey Garvey coming to you from England, where I talk to people who made big moves in their lives. They've grown in different ways, whether that's moving to a new country, finding themselves in a new career, or maybe, as is the case today, building out a business that maybe they didn't feel like they could do just years, months before. Today I'm talking to a friend, catching up with a guy I grew up with, Pat Doherty, who runs the Tone and Muscle Academy, where he helps inspire and train various people in order to understand how nutrition and exercise can help them lose weight and create the body that they want for themselves. Um, I think what inspired me about this conversation, and you can feel this in listening, more than the nutritional and exercise pieces, which I am personally very interested in. I myself, I'm always playing around with diets and doing different types of workouts. It was really the way he got this business going. He's a very humble person, clearly recognized that that was a space he needed to grow into. And over the past several years has turned his understanding of the body and how to get into shape and how to help people reach their goals into a business which allows him to have the flexibility to work from the places he wants to, allows him to have the most impact on his clients as possible and and really grow this into something that can sustain his life. I yeah, really enjoyed catching up with Pat again. This is the first time I've talked to him in years. He and I played a lot of sports as a kid together, went to school together as a kid, so it was great to get back in touch, and I think you're really going to enjoy hearing not only what he has to say about his own journey, but just the attitude that he approaches all of this with, because he truly is someone who is still trying to learn, still trying to get better, and that seems to have been the catalyst for a lot of the success he's had so far. All right. Enjoy this conversation with Pat Doherty. Hey, Pat. Welcome to Settle the Far. What's up, Corey? Go. So Here. you were a successful high school collegiate wrestler. You're a physical trainer. You're a businessman. You've transformed numerous people's lifestyles, their physical health. As a wrestler... What was your nutrition and exercise regimen like? Maybe looking at your collegiate days. It's pretty bad. Pretty bad, dude, on both ends. I didn't eat carbohydrates until I was, I think, five years into the job as a trainer. I had no knowledge of nutrition or weight training in high school or college. And I went four years in each. And uh, I remember I was, I was lifting with some trainer and I was gassed. We were doing a leg day. And he's like, what's up, dude? He's like, what'd you eat today? So I told him, I was like, I had a sandwich for breakfast. You know, I had another sandwich for lunch. And he's like, yeah, bro. He's like, you don't eat carbohydrates. He's like, that's what fuels your body. And it was then that I started realizing like the importance of nutrition. All I ate when I was in high school and college during wrestling matches, tournament, all day tournaments was canned chicken and blue Gatorade for no reason. And I would just stuff it in my mouth, try not to throw up. And it served me no purpose whatsoever. 
So, were you overweight cutting down? Was there was there a sense of having to get to a certain weight? In tournaments, in, in two-day tournaments, you had to weigh in in the morning, then you were only allotted one pound for the rest of the day. And so you couldn't drink a lot of liquids, you couldn't eat a lot of food, but the quality of food that I was eating was just, it was just protein, and there was no science behind it. And when it came to the weight training, I didn't lift, I didn't do any leg work. I literally did not squat, didn't lunge. And so when I got to college, I got smoked. I think I had- On the mat. On the mat. Is that common wrestling workout? Like what were you doing? Were you doing wrestling exercises? We wrestled a little bit and that was the last time I wrestled in, in middle school, but was it wrestling uh, drills? And is that common or do a lot of wrestlers hit the weight room? Hell yeah. Especially in college. Everyone's jacked. Everyone. Yeah. You got to be a sicko to, to wrestle in college. Just, you know, drop weight all year round. Be there during the winter break. And so the dudes yeah. that are wrestling, the dudes that are serious. And uh, I ended up getting just manhandled. by the, Especially this one kid on my team. And I had won about 120 matches in high school. I broke my high school record for wins, and I got to college, and this kid didn't let me take him down in all three years that he was on the mat with me. And so he was wow. just, he had been wrestling since he was four years old, and that, that's what he did all year round, and he weight trained, so he was faster, smarter, stronger than I was. So it was just like a rude awakening for me. Um, was this something that the, the coaches in college tried to get you involved in right away is it was a very clear hey you know you got you got you got to get into the weight room so it was the same deal as as with high school they would put you in the weight room for an hour and just be like all right have fun and there was no guidance no guidance on how to squat how to lunge how to deadlift how to clean snatch they just assumed that like you knew how to do it and i didn't and frankly like who likes to do leg days i didn't at the time and so the combination of the laziness and lack of knowledge ended up not really serving me well. And that's how I ended up hurting my back because my legs weren't strong enough, but I was going summers bar backing, caddying. And then during the season I was wrestling all, you know, a lot of the year. And so all that compounding on my spine without my legs being strong, that's what kind of almost forced me into the, the training world. Once college ended, I had to fix my back. Because I was I was wrecked, done. Two hernia. Was that a? What was your What was the state of your body in those years after college? Were you in good shape? Did it take a while for you to get into a point of properly caring for your body? Yeah, it took me like three or four years of doing yoga, Pilates. Because I had tried physical therapy. I tried acupuncture facet shots in my back, epidurals, pain medication, and nothing helped. Wow. They were all just masking the problem. And the guy was like, listen, he's like, I'll either give you a rod down your spine or you can just take pain medication. And so fixing my back and getting back to health was my main priority after college. And since I had no direction when it came to my career, 
was like, I'll just, I'll just try to fix my back because I knew other people had back problems, and if I can fix mine, I'll fix theirs. But it was bad. It was bad for a couple years, about three or four years. Yeah, just weakness and tightness. And and what was the, what moved you toward Pilates yoga? What seems like, I don't know, stretching exercises. You can call them that. Yeah, because tradition, when you have two herniated discs, stenosis, arthritis in your back, classic sit-ups, squats, any sort of regular movement that you would normally do at the gym just hurts. And so the Pilates allowed me to strengthen my midsection without really irritating my spine. And then the yoga helped me loosen up my hip flexors. It was a specific type of yoga. I tried about three or four types and then finally came across this type of yoga called Iyengar which is, uh, it's been around for uh, about like a hundred years or so. And it's where you kind of hold the poses for a bit, about a minute or two, sometimes five minutes. And it allows your muscles to really relax without irritating the joints. And that's what ended up healing me. I still do it to this day. Not as much as I used to, but huge, huge foundation to my practice. It's the best. It's fucking medicine. It's amazing. Yeah. It seems like a lot of people, maybe it's, you know, this 21st century side of things as well, that I do yoga all the time. It's so beneficial. And I have not had a ton of injuries, but I think on the mental aspect, it's huge for me. It's like being able to almost treat my body well, rather than historically exercise was a punishment that I withstood and like you know took out on myself um and was that a transition you had to go through is because my only understanding like you said people who wrestle in college are 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 crazy and like you were one of them so did you have to did did this mentally change your mindset on what exercise looks like or at least how you treat your body i see it more of as just a recovery method okay that's how i view it both physically and mentally i think yoga is is gold i think that everyone needs to be doing it because it it brings you back to homeostasis in my opinion i mean the yoga that i'm doing is it allows me to breathe better see more clearly feel lighter you know what kind of yoga are you doing it's vinyasa flow yoga and then if i a lot of it is trying to do a fair amount of like movement i i don't know what the name would be but you know going through the um going through poses in a pretty rhythmic fashion somewhat i wouldn't say quickly but i i I enjoy that and then i run a fair amount and i will do we watch a lot of uh do yoga with me.com the it's a it's a website and then they have youtube videos and there's some longer um post running yoga uh classes hour long or so and that will really work my hip flexors 
and build into it, right? Like build into yoga for athletes that will build into stretching out the hamstrings and not, um, and then by the end, I've always had pretty solid flexibility. Like I, I've always been a, a good longer distance runner. In college, I, I was a punter and a kicker on the football team a bit. Were you? Uh, yeah, Were so you? that really built out. I was, so that really built out my flexibility. Um, I didn't know that. Where'd you go? I went to MIT. We were, uh, I only played three years, and I was not a great punter or kicker. But you were the starter. I was the starter. Um, and just being in that position of having, I mean, I was practicing a lot too, kicking a lot, so... Uh, it puts a lot of strain on these tendons and and it wasn't until then that I really appreciated that you have to really stretch this stuff I, I learned it in high school too this is separate like uh, playing quarterback I was a backup quarterback until junior year the Steve Carroll and when we the Steve Carroll yeah, yeah I mean, I we would be you guys in, overtook me in, my, in middle school yeah uh, I don't think that I don't think that that's actually what happened. It is. You, you guys both outgrew me, and I was just stuck. I was like, "Oh God, damn!" And and but when when you when when we would go to camp in the beginning of the summer, and you just throw day you know ball after ball, you're just like, "This is killing me." Um, and, ne- and there was never a focus on at least for the quarterbacks. I mean, I just didn't practice enough, but just generally right we weren't doing things like yoga at any point no. even even no even those longer held stretches and i would imagine the teams are probably looking at things like that a little bit more now do you have any insight into that is wrestling changed at all in terms of the hey go in the weight room and good luck i have no idea but i can see yeah. people like tom brady having a an influence on people because he promotes pliability and that type yeah. of work, massage and flexibility. So that's how I can see it maybe gaining some popularity, but I don't know. I don't know what other wrestlers are, are doing. I don't think that people really discover that stuff until they need to, right? Like how many guys turn to yoga until they need to? Not many. Definitely. Because a lot of them think that there's only one type of yoga and there's not. There's different teachers and then there's different methods like your method you move quickly my method you kind of hold the pose and neither one's right or wrong because they both bring you flexibility a clear state of mind and it's just finding what you want finding what suits you so as you are working through these back problems getting into yoga pilates how was your nutrition at that point in time post career on the mat yeah, that's when I started to learn about it. Learn about like macronutrients and the ins and outs of simple versus complex carbs. It's really not that complicated, but it probably can be. It's probably how far down into the rabbit hole you want to go. I've only really gone base level so that I'm educated enough to teach people about calorie deficits so that they can lose weight. And then about macronutrients so that they can have the right proportions of each food. And I think that at least for me, anything beyond that isn't of need, at least not right now, because I feel good. And then my people 
that are in the academy, they're losing weight and they also feel good. So it's, it's all it was. It was just like a, a bit of an educational process. That was really it. That's, a far, that's as far I've, as I've gone. I think I've gone a lot yeah. further with exercise than I have with nutrition. Yeah. There's a lot in nutrition and I'm personally very interested in a lot of it. I, I experiment with different eating habits, diets, I guess you'd say. Um, and I find maybe the routine of adulthood makes you recognize how what you put in your body and what exercises you do, uh, you learn more about how you feel after you know you eat a big greasy burger you you feel you feel it afterwards when as a kid you burn it off quicker or you're just so busy with other crap that you forget about it so you're speaking about the academy and this would be a good time to transition and get a little bit more of an understanding of the academy what is this academy you speak of and can you bring us, bring us back to the start? How did you begin working with individuals on nutrition, on exercise? Yeah. I started off as a, phys as a physical therapy assistant. It was a kind of a job that I found that was near me. It was actually the place that I was going to get my back treated. And I came out of college. I didn't have a job. And I was like, yo, can you hire me? So... He hired me and I started doing personal training on the side because he had a little bit of a studio off the side of the of the therapy office. So I did that. Then one day he fired me. Only job I've ever gotten fired from Corey. That was he got brand new mats that cost like four or five grand, and I took a kettlebell, tied it to a rope, and had my clients drag it across, and it just created permanent streaks across the mat and use a get out of here. So, so I got fired from there. And I was also hitting on the front desk girl too, if we're gonna, if this is going to be in the podcast and we're going to be true about things. So I got fired and uh, I started working in the city because I was, I always wanted to live in Manhattan. I figured being from Long Island, it's good to at least try to live in the city and work there at least for a year. But then ended up becoming like the staple of my my career in fitness, I became a personal trainer and started working at a, a gym called David Barton, which is like a high class gym on the Upper East Side. And it was interesting because it was a small gym, but they did the most amount of personal training in revenue out of any gym in the country. Because they were just, we were surrounded by a bunch of rich, very wealthy individuals. And so these people were buying training packages for $10,000, $20,000 a piece. People were training three, four times a week. So it was cool. You know, I got a lot of experience hanging out with a lot of smart, older people. My clientele was in their 40s, 50s, and 60s, and 70s. And during that eight-year stint, I probably tried starting an online business three times. I think the first, first three times, the first one was patsprograms.com. Just built out a website, hoped that people would come, nothing happened. Then a couple years later, I tried patfitness.com, built out another website, nothing happened. And then 
third time around, I, fi- I find this guy off of, I think, Craigslist, and he created the name toneandmuscle.com. And he, he ran me for about 15 Gs for a website that also generated absolutely no business whatsoever. <laughs> but it was, like, better looking. <laughs> it had, like, videos and moving parts to it. So it wasn't until I hired a coach that helped me learn how to utilize Instagram and Facebook, mostly Facebook, that I managed to start to begin to pull in revenue. And I I did that, I'd say, the December, maybe the year before COVID hit. And I was doing that on the side. And... This is on the side of... of training at the upper east side yeah gym pretty much i have to i have to ask a question about this 10 a 10 to twenty thousand dollar package at a personal trainer what does that consist of what does someone get for 20 grand just a lot of training sessions like like 200 training sessions Okay. Yeah, they would sell them in bulk to these people. And they're showing up five times a week? Sometimes, yeah. Yeah, these people have money. Wow. Yeah, like I would, I, would, I would be standing next to Paul McCartney at the urinal. Like it was that kind of gym. Wow. Yeah. Paul McCartney is a personal, maybe the coolest guy alive in my opinion. <laughs> that's, pretty, that's a pretty good name drop right there. Yeah. I'd be like, what's up, Paul? He'd be like, oh, he'd be like, good, good to see you. And then he just like pull up the zipper and then he just go out onto the gym floor. Yeah. Wow. So what, how big of a, how big of a gym was this? How many other trainers were there and what did you learn from them? Like, is there, yeah, aspects of either growing a business or just the training, anything stick out particularly? Yeah, it was probably about 20 trainers maybe 25 trainers and some people did more sessions than others like they would keep count and the more sessions you did each week the more money you would get per hour so some guys would crank out like 60 sessions a week i was more of like a mid-30s kind of guy sessions type of week and i would say what i learned most from that place is is the yoga i would take off twice a week and just do yoga with a bunch of 50 year old women to help fix my back. I did that for about four or five years. And then I got certified in Pilates on the side, started teaching that. But personal training itself, the I, yeah, I would say the, the best thing that I learned from that was how to cue people, people properly. That's one of my best skill sets is I can look at anyone doing any exercise in the gym. And if they're doing it wrong, I can give them really simplistic cues and like a tone that is non-threatening. And they just pick it up and just like that, now they can do things properly for the rest of their life. So that's one, that's probably what I took away most from personal training for about eight years. What was, what was that process like at the gym? Were you discussing this with other trainers very explicitly that the, both the cueing aspect and the, uh, the, the passiveness or the calmness with which you mentioned that and I have experience in yoga in a class and someone who can cue you in the right direction with a, a, a some type of stretch or pose that you're in 
is a huge asset and it's a reason why you return to the same teachers. So what, what was the conversations like? Was this a very clear goal of the personal training, training side of things to get better at queuing? Oh, hell no. No, it was not respected at all. They didn't care. Even my clients didn't even care a lot of the times. They just wanted to talk. Like, really? People wanted to be entertained while they left. I'd be like, yo, listen, Rob, you gotta, you have to like keep a little more weight in your heels. You gotta go a little bit slower and you gotta drop your hips a little bit below your knees if we're gonna actually build some muscle. And they would just like straight up talk right over me and just, just tell me about how drunk they were the night before. <laughs> I literally had like 10 seconds tops every time, not even 10 seconds, three to four seconds. Like, because I can see it in their eyes how long they were paying attention to what I had to say. So I would try to interject it into the conversation that we were having. And that was the only way. Sometimes I didn't have to like maneuver, like maneuver their body as well to make sure they're doing things right. But the window was super small. And a lot of the guys that I work with, they don't, they don't train anymore. A lot of them, it was just kind of like a thing that they did in their 20s. I'm one of the few guys that still is in the industry. Did you see the trainees making progress i would imagine less so if they're getting shit-faced and then coming in but um my people yeah oh some yes a lot at that point in life with their dedication it's mostly maintenance yeah, yeah. okay yeah yeah i would say that 100%. so you move into getting a coach a, a business coach who's going to help you build out your own business why go that direction that sounds like it sounds like you had a pretty stable income stream you mentioned i think this was a side this was on the side mm-hmm. yeah yeah i was probably yeah it was a steady stream i was probably making like a hundred and it was good working like 30 hours a week or something like that i just knew that i wasn't growing anymore I wasn't growing mentally. I wasn't growing skill set wise. And then on top of that, I was extremely limited to the amount of people that I can work with, right? I can only work with so many people one on one. And I was tired of picking up people's weights, holding their hand, talking about absolutely nothing for hour after hour. And yeah. I wanted to scale. I wanted to work with someone that I met down the street that needed my help. And I wasn't able to do that in the gym. Right. So I wanted to create something that I can give to anyone anywhere. And on top of that work, wherever the hell I wanted from, you know what yeah. I'm saying? That, that, that being in a gym feels limiting because of both the fact that you're physically have to show up at the gym, but it also is restricted to those people who live in that area, who can afford to go to that gym. Um, and as you said, it's a certain type of clientele. Yeah. Um, yeah. Exactly. So as you start to as you start to do this and get the coaching advice, I guess the first thing I'm curious about is what is the what is the value that someone like a business coach brings to building something out on face using Facebook using Instagram, um, and, and what were you trying to accomplish? Was this meet me at a gym and we're gonna you know, I'll see you in the park at three o'clock kind of thing. I had been 
trying to use an app called Trainerize for a while. And I knew that there was there's apps out there that allow me to deliver workout plans to people without having to be there. I just upload my videos, prescribe them how many reps, sets, and then keep in touch with them and such. And so that was the main gist of what I wanted to offer people. But I didn't have I didn't have any way of finding them. I didn't have any way of selling them, keeping them. So what the business program did was they they showed us how to reach out to people on social media, how to f- figure out who we wanted to serve and how to relay our message to them through our content. And it wasn't until Skena, Mike Skena, reached out to me one day after I posted a couple of times. And he's like, hey, listen, I need help. And I hadn't talked to him in like 15 years. And after six months, he was down, I think, 50 pounds and was lifting three times a week super happy and that's when i realized that my ideal ideal client would be maybe guys that are just heavier than what they want to be want to get back into the gym lift weights and so that's kind of where where it began and the coaching showed me how to reach out to them how to put them through a sales process because i didn't have either one of those skill sets i didn't know how to market myself i didn't know how to sell myself at the gym that i that i started at the sales guys would just hand us clients so we were privileged over there for sure. And then the business program also taught us how to deliver to them, how to uh, create systems so that it becomes a little bit more easy to scale. And then lastly, how to hire. How was your product? I imagine the product evolves as you start having these conversations with yourself, with the coach. Um, What do you think have been some real innovations in the product you're bringing to the table based on these conversations or this training? It sounds like you were at a course or something. Maybe, maybe we start there. Is this the, the, this business coach, is this a course you went to? Is this a constant conversation you're having? Someone you got on retainer that you can just call up anytime? Yeah. Yeah, I'll answer I'll answer both those questions. So it started off with one guy, his name was Sterling Griffin, and his his company's called Life Changer Academy. That's where I kind of got the academy from, just copied him, used the original website, and it's basically a week, a weekly schedule of different Zoom calls where other guys and girls like me hop on there, learn about marketing, sales, deliver, deliver, delivery retention systems and they assign you a coach that first one was about 12 or 16 weeks long and then he sold the company to another guy now named mike chu and his program is about a year long and it's pretty similar and you you have a coach there's still weekly zoom sometimes there's in-person meetings and i started off with a four-month program and now I have that same four-month program, which is it's better. There's just more to it. I have, I have a follow-up one for guys that want to continue to stay in the program afterwards. And now I'm building out what's what I'm calling a 21-day challenge, which is just a way to get people into the door in like a less expensive way and get a feel for what tone of muscle has to offer them. And then if they feel comfortable with that experience, then I'll have them go into that original four-month program. So I'm building a value ladder, basically. 
So I'm still building. I'm still building and I'm two years in. I'm building as I'm selling. This is fascinating. And for me, probably, I mean, I'm very much in the nutritional and workout space, but I'm probably more fascinated with the business creation here. How, did you have any sense of, you, you, you sound very um, modest, and so I doubt this is the case, but was there any sense of uh, not appreciating that maybe this coaching would be a good investment? And was it very clear very quickly that it was a good investment, that this was worth, worth your time to get this type of coaching, to build out this understanding of marketing, of the sales process, or um, maybe the previous attempts that you'd made in Pat's programs and Pat Fitness taught you that, hey, I, I, need, I need some help here? Yeah, the one thing I didn't mention, I had a, uh, I had a coach before, that's the Sterling Griffin Life Changer Academy, and I dropped like, I think it was eight G's on that and saw, saw nothing. It just didn't click with me. It didn't resonate with me. And so I got a kind of bit of a sour taste from that program, but I, I knew that I knew nothing. I knew that I didn't have the skills. So I took another chance on his program. And I think what he promoted was like, get to 10 K a month, get to 10 K a month. And I think on the maybe like the fourth month or something like that. On the very last month, I hit 10K. And so I was going to re-up. I was offered to re-up, but it was going from a 12-week program to a 12-month program. The 12-month program was about 26K. And I, remember, I was already in about, I'm still paying off student loans, which are like $200,000 from college. So I'm still in the hole for like 60, 80K or something like that at the time. This was a couple years ago. And that was when COVID hit. It was that March. And I lost 80% of my clientele from the gym. People just didn't want to work out anymore in the gym because they're all older. They all wanted to just, yeah. you know, stay at home. And so I knew that I was only, I was only going to grow if like I had more accountability and some next level support. So I took, that was, that was a scary risk for sure. I didn't know. I had a lot of doubt spending 26K and it's, it's of course, it's, uh, it's spread throughout the year. It was like 2K a month, but I didn't have any money coming in. And that was before paying rent in the city, before paying all the student loans, which is like a grand a month. So that was the scariest time for sure for me when it came to like investing in myself and hiring a coach. That was, I rolled the dice there, and it, but it worked out for sure. Tell me about like that, um, that decision, like what, because, because you're obviously going into a space where you want, if this succeeds and, and you're able to have, it sounds like, uh, geographic freedom in ways and the ability to dictate, I guess, the product you're offering and what you're bringing to the table like that, that is a huge benefit for you. Um, but it holds this big risk financially. And those two things are so competitive in our head that one is so practical with the other being so 
um, like emotional almost in like what you, what you really want to be doing. Um, what was the, do you, can you go back to like how you were, how you were managing to convince yourself that it was worth the risk? I just knew I didn't have anything to lose when you're, when you're 60 K in the hole or 200 K in the hole and you only have a couple grand in your bank account, you're just down. <laughs> yeah. At least I am. I don't know. I don't know. I was like, you know what? I just got to do it because there's other guys in the group that were making 10, 20, 30, 40 K a month doing the same exact thing. So I knew that it was possible. And that was the benefit of being in a community. Like there are guys right now that are doing, of course they have a bigger team than I do, but they've been doing it longer than I have, making hundred K a month. And they're just getting people in shape online. So I knew that it was possible. I just knew that I had to work and adapt and learn and apply. And so seeing other people crush it, that's probably what allowed me to make that 26K investment. Because if there was no testimonials, if there was no community, there's no, there's no shot in hell. What was the most, notice, most noticeable difference between yourself at that time and those people you saw succeeding? And, and was there anything that you were afraid you couldn't learn or figure out? Sales. I never sold a thing in my life. I had done, I'd given thousands of personal training sessions and not one person did I ever have to sell. And so getting people on the phone and offering them a, a package that was originally for $1,500 for four months was, I was sweating through my shirt, sweating through my shirt. And then I get pissed because they would say no after I'd pour my heart out and knew that I could help them. But I didn't know the, the psychology of sales. I didn't know how to build value. I didn't know how to handle objections. I didn't know how to do anything <laughs> not do shit and so that was the big that was the, that was the biggest change at least for me that i've made over the last couple couple months yeah this is this is phenomenal i have never sold anything i sit around and have built small software projects and things that can widgets that can do one thing or another but they're not businesses because they don't generate revenue they don't they haven't gotten to a point of proving that somebody needs it based on the fact that they open their checkbook and they pay for it. And I'm curious how, what has been, can you speak to some of those learnings of um, how you went from being on the phone and pouring your heart out and having someone say no and then being pissed to managing that conversation better? Is it is it just... Is it just a conversation that you need to manage better or is there something bigger behind it in the way that you're framing the entire academy? Where do you want to talk about just how I got better at sales? Yeah, and um, not just how you got better. What What is the... When, when you look back and you say, at that point, I was just getting pissed at someone because they were objecting. Well, where are you now? Yeah, it used to ruin my day ruin my day when someone would say no and now it's just, it's kind of, you just move on to the next 
there's, but there's just been so many hours of learning different sales tactics. There's been so many hours of being on the phone and practicing what I've learned. Just yesterday, I spent an hour and a half creating a video that people can watch before we get on our second call so that they know all about what my deliverables are so that when we do get on that second call, there's no question. Then there's like a testimonial video that I'm gonna be putting together later this year. So there's just like, it's a combination for, for me that's been just been building things out, learning new skills, practicing them with people, and then just becoming more confident and knowing that every single sale doesn't matter. You know, that people are gonna come through the door as long as I continue to adapt and get better. So it's been a bit of a process. I listened to- Is it most, sorry, go on. I was gonna say, I listened to a sales call recently that I did, which was the first time I've ever done that. Horrible. You listened back. Yeah, yeah. Just dropping likes and ohms every other second. Tough to hear. <laughs> but, but that's the kind of stuff that like, you gotta do. You gotta just constantly reflect, reflect. Because it's the sales calls that you don't get that you learn the most from, right? course yeah <laughs> how okay so now getting into the program itself and some of your clients um, what has been the kicker or the, the the aspect of that sales conversation that has convinced people to join the tone of muscle Academy I had a call today with someone and he said that a video that I posted up a couple months ago of an interview that I had with a, a past, past student, that's what got him over the edge. But I think that it's a combination of asking people what they want, where they're struggling, listening a lot. I was originally given a sales script that had a lot of me talking where I was the one talking majority of the time and that doesn't work in sales. I need to be the one that's listening. Like, It should be an 80-20 ratio where I'm just asking a question that's a good question, but then they're just talking. They're talking and I'm writing it down. I'm listening to them. And then I find that what really has gotten people or what's helped, I think, of course, it's a combination of, of everything. It's the videos, it's me being more confident, it's me not talking as much. But now what I realize is that people don't really care what I have. They care about where I can help them go. At the end of the sales call, I can be like, oh, I mean, I got this app for you. I have these modules you can watch. I'm going to hold you accountable. They don't fucking care. They just want to know that the workouts are going to allow them to feel stronger, help them get over their injuries so that they can play with their kids. So selling the, selling Hawaii, not the plane. That's been a nice kicker for me. Yeah. Is, is the, you seem to have honed in on a type of clientele, um, former athletes that are, that, that seem to, I, I don't know whether it's the plan, the sales tactics, things like that, that seem to be working for you. Are they often looking for these same places where they're trying to go to? Yeah, they just want to look good and feel good. That's it. Dudes just want to look good and feel good. They don't need to be bodybuilders. They just want to drink on the weekends, eat the occasional burger, lift some weights, 
fit in their clothes well and just be happy knowing that they're making progress with their, with their bodies. They're not asking for much, but a lot of times it takes that education, that skill set. Because as you saw, as I told you earlier, I didn't have the skill set until a couple of years after college. I didn't know how to lift weights. I didn't know how to eat because for some reason they didn't teach us that stuff. Right? I don't know. Did you learn yeah. that kind of stuff in high school, no. college? A little bit, a little bit of weightlifting. I think we did a decent job with that. But even then, it was, it was focused on building mass for football in a way that was unsustainable for life. Um, I ended up doing some CrossFit workouts before my senior year that made me look at body weight workouts a lot more seriously. Um, and probably helped my joints out just long term. But you're right, nutrition-wise, certainly not. It's so, so sad. <laughs> it is sad. It is sad. I know a lot of people have talked about, I've seen things on just financial education not being taught. But nutritional education, especially... My understanding is the medical profession isn't really taught much about nutrition as doctors and things. So there's a lot of prescriptions that get given out. And really, how much, how much could be solved with some decent eating and yoga, right? Yeah, I can teach people what I know in like 90 minutes tops. And they'll be set for life. You know, it's like... Yeah. We learn we go to school for so many years, but for some reason they can't teach us about like carbohydrates and like what dietary fats are and I don't know, it's just it's bizarre. But what is the so working with a lot of former athletes, um, what is the most common what is the most difficult thing for them to work on? Is it nutrition? Is it exercise combination? Both. Yeah. Yeah, because if someone's heavy and weak, they need to eat well and they need to start lifting weights. And that's usually what I help them do. You know, they're just kind of eating on the go and they don't have any sort of training routine because they were never taught it. Like you were taught how to do that stuff because you were an athlete. But I also have a lot of guys in there that weren't athletes. Or even if they were athletes like me, they didn't even get in the weight room. You probably got in the weight room because, you know, is, is, that, is, that, is, D1, is that D1? No, it was more high, high school, honestly, was a lot of some basic, you know, we were doing squats, bench, incline, um, upright rows. Was, there was a pretty good lifting uh, focus, gym focus, where it was, let's understand how to do things right before just trying to kick up the weights. And I noticed in going to college, which was D3, that there was a lot less of a focus on the fundamentals. And it just led to bad form. And you see people who aren't being as um, productive in the weight room. Yeah. Um, yeah. Where do you start with somebody who hasn't worked out much and doesn't have that education of how to handle themselves in the weight room? What, what kind of exercises are they starting off with and where are you trying to get them to? As long as they don't have any injuries, I think everyone 
tends to, I get everyone kind of, not the same plan, but a plan that encompasses all the basics. So we are squatting, we are lunging, we are doing leg curls. We're hitting every part of the body and we're doing all the movements, the compound movements that really matter, the presses, the pulls. We're just doing them carefully. And I make sure that they're doing things right. And that's the good part about the app. Recently they, they updated it maybe a couple years ago where people can now send me videos of them lifting so I can tell them that they need to be doing something a little bit different so that they're not hurting themselves. That was huge. That was important to me. If they didn't have that, I probably wouldn't be doing what I'm doing because I've seen people for years waste their time and even hurt themselves. I know I've hurt myself not doing the right movement in the gym. And it just takes a little tweak. It just takes an eye a lot of times to tell someone to just tweak it and then they'll be good for the rest of their life. I notice in your Instagram, which is a phenomenal follow, as I mentioned earlier, thanks. that <laughs> you put a lot of focus on slower, higher quality movements within your exercises. Um, what is the benefit? Why not try to, you know, it seems like sometimes the weights are even quite low on things like lunges and stuff like that. Um, how does that help somebody lose weight, get themselves in shape? Like why not tell them to keep, keep going, keep running until they can run to five miles? Like how are these slower, lower weight exercises helping? Yeah, I probably move a little bit slower than, than the normal person just because I have a history of injuries. I've injured, I think, every joint in my body over the last decade patellar tendonitis, torn rotator cuff. So I'm always moving kind of carefully so I don't re-injure myself. I'll still move quickly with kettlebell movements and such. Um, and frankly, I'm not the strongest guy in the gym. I don't lift four or five times a week. I lift maybe two, three times a week. And so just as simple as that, that's why I'm not putting up huge numbers. And I haven't I've neglected certain body parts for a specific period of times. So like my legs should be stronger than they are given the amount of time that I've been in the industry. So that's something that I'm working on now. Um, but I think people need to weight train no matter who they are, no matter what experience they have, because it's, if you don't use it, you'll lose it, baby. You know, like, especially the legs because we're sitting on our asses all day so your butt's going to atrophy your hamstrings are going to atrophy and that just leads to knee pain back pain and the cool part is that with exercise you can start anywhere no matter who you are with any movement there's always a variation that allows you to get involved in any any movement what squats lunges deadlifts whatever that's the beauty in it you know absolutely yeah, yeah I, th I think it, it's one of those um, realities that you learn when you start. Th this was something that I've, at just at different times in my life, whether it's doing body weight squats, doing something like yoga, where you walk in the first time and you think, there's a lot of women there that aren't very strong and I could easily do this. I'm a guy who's big and I play sports and whatever. And then it's not 
always the flexibility that tires you out, but it's the it's the muscle strength and endurance of being able to handle some of those poses for the length of time, the stress, and I don't know the the tired how tired you get. And I, I was always, especially in the beginning, extremely amazed by that the strength that some of these women are walking around with that you just wouldn't wouldn't necessarily expect. Yeah. Yeah. And it kind of reminds me of some of the the things that happen to guys that join the academy. They go to the gym, they'll throw like 45s on the barbell to start squatting. And they realize it's like way too much, but that's what's what they yeah. used to do. But now that they're 38 years old, have two kids and have been sitting at a desk for the last 15 years, like you're not going to squat 135 and you sure as hell aren't going to warm up with it. And so it's a reality check for a lot of guys that get back in the gym. And I think a lot of people don't want to get back into the gym because they don't want to face the fact that they're going to be weak as hell. You know? Yeah. Get, moving over to food a little bit, how I feel as though maybe I've seen a growth in at least your willingness to share aspects of your eating suggestions and, and what you think is valuable. Was this always a part of the Tony Muscle Academy is a nutritional aspect? Yeah. Yeah. Ever since I worked with, with Skane and he lost 50 pounds solely off of meal plans. That's when I realized that people need to be guided with food along with fitness hand in hand in order to lose that body weight. Cause people aren't going to exercise their body weight off. They're going to eat it off. And so I give people the fish by giving them meal plans while I teach them about the ins and outs of macronutrients, calorie deficits, and even just proper habits like eating during the holidays and rationing out your meals so that by the time they're finished with those meal plans, they have a better understanding of what they're putting in their body. The meal plans themselves, are they, are they f um, all encompassing? How much room is there for the client to throw in a burger or, or not, maybe not even a burger, but instead of having whatever cauliflower rice, they're going to make, uh, I don't know, zucchini. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're simple as hell. They're, they're each week. So PDF and Monday through Sunday, there's five things for them to eat each day. They're all whole okay. foods. Cause that's the big thing that people just need to switch from eating processed foods, the whole foods. And it starts to allow them to have more energy and lose weight. It's really as simple as that. And then ever so often, sporadically, there's either cheat meals or cheat days. And that gives them the freedom to start eating the foods that they want. Sure. Yeah, it's so I, I have a question about this. It, it, it's, I, if I struggle with nutrition, it's that I, I'll eat half a candy bar at the end of the day. And for me... I do exercise a fair amount and it doesn't really affect me too much, but it is something that I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I don't want to say I struggle with it cause I don't really, I enjoy it, but, um, I do wish I was better at times about, you know, how much I splurge when I splurge. How much do you think the payment aspect of people being in the tone and muscle Academy helps them commit to the workout and the nutrition plan. And do you think that allows you to 
to potentially charge more because you get people to commit financially. Is that something you're thinking about? Yeah, the more you pay, the more you pay attention. 100%. 100%. Yeah. Absolutely. If it was a $49 program for 16 weeks, people would buy it and never use it. But the fact that it's a, you know, a couple thousand dollars worth of an investment in, of your time, you're going to take it more seriously. 100%. On that note, how it, it feels like you end up getting people to commit, really fully commit, like fully, fully get in there. What is that like? Like, like you're, you're seeing people really change their lives, huh? It's the best part. It's the best part. It's, yeah, because work's work. Posting on social media is work. Putting people through sales calls is work. But getting on the coaching calls and listening to how this guy just is down 20 pounds over the last three months and he's going to the gym every day and his suits fit better and he has more energy and it's making more confident work that lights me up yeah and it's it hasn't always been like that having every single person come through have had a fantastic experience but it's getting to the point where now almost everybody that comes through is is seeing some like great life-changing results and that's that's the beauty in it yeah we were we were chatting about this before, offline, and really the impact that, let's say, a, a less healthy lifestyle, less healthy state of being can have, is uh, it's so noticeable. It's so noticeable from afar, and even for myself when I when I'm in a rhythm, you know, when I'm in a good rhythm, eating well, working out consistently. The energy, it just comes. I've seen this from posts from you. It's like, you know, you get a good night's sleep and you exercise and you eat well. You don't need, you certainly don't need energy drinks or even, you know, multiple cups of coffee. You, you don't need that stuff because you can really, you have this pop to your step. Um, do you notice it in people's attitudes on these calls? I notice it in myself. If I don't grocery shop and have my stock, a stock fully fri a fridge fully stocked, my week is trash. You know, my workouts are trash. My my, me showing up to work is suboptimal. Food is, yeah, they don't put enough emphasis on it. That's just, it's gold, baby. It's gold. It is. Yeah, it's a shame that the. Uh, Capitalism seems to have gotten a hold of it in the way that it has in certain certain senses. In certain places, for sure. Yeah, yeah. It's it is what it is, man. How how do how do your clients? Um, just one or two more here. Like, how do your clients manage the sort of addictive nature of food, and and is that something you have to deal with? Because that's something I struggle with. Is just. Chocolate is really tasty. And not only just chocolate, like pizza, you know, and, and I want it daily. Is it getting them, kicking it off, getting that momentum going? How, how do you, do people mentally struggle with this stuff? Yeah, yeah, 100%, 100%.
I think it's a combination of, of helping them see new foods so that they have, they don't have to just eliminate, they can replace. And then time, time of, of working with themselves and dealing with the urges and the vacations and the work holidays. I've, I've had guys in there for two, three years, you know, and some have completely gotten over that hump and others are still working with themselves. And so I tell them, like, look, man, like this is, we're not in any rush. You know, we're here for sustainable changes and you should be allowed to have that food. We just have to make sure that as time goes on, you, you do better. <laughs> Simple as that. Sure. Yeah. 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 But I know, I mean, I know how it is. Like I personally myself, I can't eat two or three slices of pizza with a Coke anymore because my blood sugar skyrockets to the roof and then I'm passed out for the next four hours. So. I know that food can be super impactful and negative. So I get where they're coming from. I might not have as much of a an addiction to that, but I know that good food, good tasting food can really throw you into a hole. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. How's the pizza in England? Dude, it's terrible. And they, they it's, 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 I, I, I was watching uh, some TV show the other day, and it's set in New York, and all I could think about was pizza. And I, so sad. I it is so sad. I love pizza, and the uh, um, and honestly, it's not as good. It's never as good as I want it to be when I when I'm back in New York. But where do you go when you come back? Do you go to Mama T's? Do you go to Gino's? Where do you go? No, I go to a spot. Um, God, what's the hell? What the hell is the name of it? It used to be called. Vito's. Um, it's now called. It's some place in New Hyde Park, and I I had for a short time, and I, I really wonder if this was a based on my nutrition. I had an allergy to peanut oil <clears throat> in high school, and there were very few pizza places in the area that did not cut their olive oil use with peanut oil. And this one Italian place used no peanut oil. And so I used to get really sick. And my throat would start to close up a little bit. And it was really uncomfortable. It did. It took a really long time because I had been eating pizza. up, And it was the red sauce. And then they would put it in the red sauce. And I had been eating that my whole life. And then um, it was just so... It was so bad. I don't know if you've ever had that feeling where your throat starts to close. You think drinking water should be able to help, but you really have to almost like meditate on it and get into like a dark room and just like block everything out because you don't want to be interrupted almost. Um, anyways, I found this pizza place, but now I'll eat pizza anywhere. I go back to New York, I'll eat pizza anywhere. The thing in England is that there are chain pizza places, which are like Pizza Express, one of them's called, or ZZ's Pizza. Ugh. And they're they're better than Domino's. They're different than Domino's. They're like a real pizza place, but they're still a little thick breaded. Yeah. And then you have like Italian restaurants, which are serving kind of a personal pizza, but they're very floppy. Like Oh yeah? It's, yeah, it's like a, it's like a one and I, it's not personal in that it's very small, maybe a two person pizza. Um, but very, very floppy crust and like very authentic 
Gross. Tomatoes and stuff. And then, so, dude, I end up, if I'm eating pizza, I'm eating just the frozen pizza. I'll just get, like, the best frozen pizzas I can find. Yeah, like a DiGiorno or, like, an Elio's. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I get it. It's okay. Like, why play around? I mean, I, I don't love the... I don't love the pizza places here. Um, is the food in general food, pretty, 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 it's probably, I don't want to stereotype, but I mean, there's gotta be good restaurants over there, right? There, there are, there's a lot of good restaurants. I, one of the biggest things for me coming over here was the realization that the grocery store, especially the fresh foods, the, the perishables, it's the same. If, if not better than what you're going to get in America because the um, the standard is is pretty high, I think. Like vegetables are good. Um, meat is very good over here. They, they really do a good job of you're not getting strange-looking, gigantic chicken breasts. I mean, things are normal-looking a little bit. The eggs are very good. Um, and if I'm cooking my own food, it's, I, I find it a bit easier to shop here than I might in the U S. Um, but then you don't have the huge variety of packaged goods. And then on the restaurant side, it's hard to compete with the New York area, but there are a lot of, if I'm in London, I live in a small town and, um, we have our spots. It's not, it's not everything I'd want it to be. It's, it's the... It's what draws me into London when we'll drive into London and yeah. I'm thinking food. I'm thinking food the whole time I'm there. I'm like, what am I getting during this trip? You know, <laughs> <laughs> I think it's just, uh, I, I, I work for it too. I mean, I know, I know I, I followed a lot of your videos and things. I'm not a big breakfast eater. I personally find that I'm, uh, I can work well in the morning before eating and for a while I would eat breakfast with my wife every day because she's Turkish breakfast is a big part of the Turkish culture I really liked the experience of just sitting down and having breakfast but then I kind of stopped I feel good kind of working on an empty stomach and and then I eat healthy during the week so when the weekend comes around I don't feel as bad I think the thing I've had to fight through is not turning it into Friday evening through Sunday evening like you know that's that's a little too much that ends up becoming like two and a half days of the week that you're just going along. eating frozen pizza yeah. yeah 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 and how about the gym scene is there any place to lift near you near me I don't I have not been anywhere I have a a little space in in our place where I have a couple um, I guess rubber mats down like a the puzzle piece mats that fit together and I have a kettlebell a 16 kilo kettlebell that I do a bunch of workouts with I have some small dumbbells I don't use I do, do I do use the kettlebell and I do a kind of full body workout with that and then I currently I run a lot so we moved out here in 2020 in June right after the pandemic first let down a little bit they opened they allowed people to move outside their house we moved out here before that i was going to the ymca in london the first ymca ever and that was a phenomenal gym the they world? had 
Yeah, first one. And they had a great um, a great weight room, and then they also had a pool. Um, I, I really liked swimming, and they had a sauna. Love the sauna. Haven't been in a sauna in... I've been in a sauna once or twice in the last two years, but that's a big loss of mine. And yeah. um, I like the erg, too, the rowing machine. Oh, God. The first wine scene, well, that's interesting that that's not an American thing. Yeah, I was very surprised. It, um, yeah, it sits, it sits right in central London. Really you know, big. What does say stands for? Uh, young. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I like that you tried to guess. <laughs> I was going to go with youth first, but you just went with young. <laughs> I was gonna say yeah. I was gonna say young men's Christian association. Association? That's probably right. Okay. Okay. We'll go with that. Everyone, everyone listening uh, just thinks we're idiots. <laughs> Good thing we no, use the podcast. I found that the you were you were asking earlier about me playing pickup. I think I could definitely find some soccer pickup, um, and I have played. It, it's a bit of a level higher because. Yeah. Because everyone's coming in with a background. Yup, that'd be interesting as hell, hundred percent. I got in. I got. I was on a. I was on a squad for a season, and all these guys went to. Uh, uh, where did they go? Edinburgh, mm-hmm. uh, and they that was their team. But then where they were, twenty five, twenty seven at the time, and we were playing guys that were thirty five. And everybody has, you know, that old man basketball thing. Like they have that on the on the pitch, and I had none of that. I, I had no awareness. I was pure speed. Like that was my game. Was just run hard, put me in the back so that I don't have to do anything too. But, but that also gets stressful. And you and I played played in the back back in our our days, and like we were. Two feisty little defensemen back there, and that's right, baby. That's right. I Austin Paul Gleason. Yeah, and it can get a little nerve wracking because these guys played this. This wasn't pickup. This was club. I guess you call it, intramural. I don't even know. They were taking it pretty seriously, and they get pissed. You know, they get pissed if you screwed up, and I didn't like that so much. Yeah, no, not not for me. You know what? No. If it's, if it's how's your player, how's your play going these days? With what soccer, jujitsu, or what? Whatever your whatever your plan. So you're doing jujitsu? Yeah, I just got my first strike the other day. Congratulations! Yeah, thanks. They gave six months. They held out on me. <laughs> I I was um I've been listening to Breath. I think the book is by one of the Gracies, talking through the background of the whole Gracie clan and such and. Um, jiu-jitsu I don't know a whole lot but my understanding is I, I also saw an Anthony Bourdain episode where he's doing jiu-jitsu and he was doing it in uh, San Francisco and really you're just trying to get the person to tap yeah it's a lot of just trying to get someone to tap yeah yeah just either dislocating or choking out that's it yeah that's the only well, there's also points too you can get positions by being in points Okay. Get points by being in positions. It's cool. The main reason why I like it is just because the people are 
good. Everyone that shows up there is like, they're down to work, but a lot of times we're just like cracking jokes, teaching each other. And so that's the yeah. beauty in it, 100% for me. Because I work from home, so I'm by myself all day. So it's nice to go around to a place where people are like me and you, where like they want to learn, they want to get better, they want to be competitive, but they don't want to take it too seriously. So that's that's what's up. Yeah. That's great. Do you miss, have you missed the combat sport world? Jiu-Jitsu is pretty combative, and I have to go... I have to tone it down when I go in there because as a wrestler, we go 100%. That's just what we do. And if I do that in jujitsu, being a novice that I am, they'll mirror me. Everyone above me will mirror me. So if I go light, they go light. If I go hard, they go hard. If I go hard, they usually tap me out. They'll, they'll mess up my wrist, my shoulder. So I had to learn... It's the second place that I've gone to. The first place that I went to, the teacher came up to me after the second time, and he's Brazilian. He's like, Patricio, he's like, you have to understand. He's like, you have to slow down. He's like, if you go too fast, one, you will get hurt. Two, you won't learn anything. And then three, no one will like you. And so ever since then, <laughs> I've, I've had to go in there and like check my ego and like intentionally slow down because otherwise I just... I don't get anything solved. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's a healthy thing to learn. I I mean, my experience playing sports with you, your aggressiveness was your strength. Yeah. So I can only imagine that. Yeah. that, that Just top heavy and aggressive. So that was me. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> that was the only it's thing that really got me by. Was there, was never, there was never finesse. It was just being aggressive. That was it. Yeah. Hey, if it works, I mean, why change it? Yeah. All right, man. I really appreciate the time. This has been great. I there's a ton to learn here, and I I'm excited just watching you, man. Like the 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 videos you put up. The um, I know at times it comes off as marketing, and it is marketing, but it, you're so um, clearly passionate and believe in the value you're bringing to people and i think it, you bring value to people you build something that is valuable and like you're talking about changing people's lives really the the sales aspect is how do i communicate this to people not trick them in any way so keep it up and and i will uh i'll be a, a glad follower and refer i'll do my best to be bringing people your way dude thank you I haven't had this much fun talking about my craft and my story at the same time. So thank you for having me. This has been a hell of a lot of fun. I could, I think like I could awesome. talk for an hour more. So thanks. All right. Have a good one. See you, Corey. Hey, yo, while you're here, why don't you head to that podcast app and hit the subscribe button. It'd be a huge help in me getting the word out about Settle the Far. And thanks again for listening to Settle the Far. All that music you're hearing comes from Peggy Bunker and the Bunkmates. Until next time, keep on keeping on.